You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. You ever, you ever get bored? What do you do when you get bored? Just yell at me. Tell me something you do when you get bored. Anybody? Work? Word games. Word games. Anybody else word games when you get bored? Anybody play video games when you get bored? There's a lot of kids in here. I'm not going to lie. I play video games when I get bored. That's okay. Anybody else? What do you do when you get bored? You like go? Does anybody run? Anybody go for a run? I got bored. I'm gonna go run. Anybody? Oh, good. Nobody. Was it, were you raising your hand? <laughs> Christina's like, yeah, that's me a little bit. I don't get it. I see like friends of mine on social media. Like, I just ran a 10k. I just ran a half marathon. I'm sitting on the couch eating a donut, watching your documentation of running. I feel fine about that. <laughs> we, when we get bored, we do something, right? What happens when we get bored in church? We, like, we blame the church. <laughs> when I get bored at home, I don't like go up to my wife and go, what's wrong with you? It's your fault that I'm bored. Entertain me, right? But when we get bored at church, we're like, oh, I don't like the pastor's messages lately. It's just not speaking to me. I don't feel fed. I don't feel like I'm being fed in this church. I'm going to go somewhere else. And I'm like, you're an adult. Feed yourself. (laughs) You go home and, like, tell your wife to chew your food up for you and then give it to you on a spoon? No, but that's what we want the church to do for us. So we get bored and we just leave and find another church, find a new shiny thing so we don't get bored. What if you getting bored is a signal that maybe change needs to happen in my life. Maybe I need to do something about this. Maybe I need to get involved. Maybe I need to serve. Maybe there's something that I need to do, right? Because if your life as a Christian is boring, you brought that on yourself. You did not follow Jesus to a boring life following God. (sighs) So, have you ever felt like there's more you could do? Have you ever sat in church and seen like the words on the screen or seen a graphic and thought to yourself, oh, that looks bad. <laughs> Come on, be real. Some of you guys have told me. Some of you just sit there and like, oh, I, don't, I don't like the way that looks. If you don't like it, then come help us make it better. Amen. Seriously. Like, Ken, Pastor Ken Santos and I usually design the graphics. Neither of us are graphic designers. When I design something for the church, I use Keynote. And then I send it to Don to get printed, and he's like, this, I can't. What do you want me to do with this? Like, use Photoshop. I'm like, I don't know how to use Photoshop. And, but then he's gracious and fixes it, right? <laughs> yeah, thanks. If you ever have felt like there's more that you should be doing, it's because God made you that way, Amen. right? Ephesians 2.10 tells us we are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has set it up that way, right? But the problem is we underestimate ourselves and we underestimate what God wants to do with us. I have some, some experience with us, uh, uh, underestimating things. Okay, so uh, when I first started working here, I, I, have, I have grossly underestimated Pastor Romeo. I grossly underestimated him. So when I first started working here, there was this giant uh, desk that needed to be moved. And 
Pastor Romy's like, hey, I need you to help me move this desk upstairs. And I'm like, okay. So uh, I'm like, yeah, well, clearly he's asking me because I'm strong. <laughs> you know, so let me roll my sleeves up. So I go downstairs and I'm like, all right, let's, let's do this. Right? He's got his gloves on. I'm like, gloves. <laughs> Protecting his hands because he's smart. So he, he looks at the cabinet and like picks up one side. And then he looks at me. But he doesn't just look at me. Like he evaluates me. Right? And he like looks, looks me over like this. And then picks it up again, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to carry the heavy end because I'm a lot stronger than you are. I was like, excuse me? Sure enough, he was a lot stronger than me. Um, but, yeah, he, Pastor Romy is deceptively strong. Like, you look at him, and you're like, yeah, he's, he, you could tell that he's, he's a working man, but he doesn't look as strong as he actually is until you see him lift something. And you're like, oh, my. Pastor Romy and Janet, they like, they redo the interior of their place like three times a year. <laughs> so Pastor Romy comes to my office and he's like, hey, there was, a, there was this, I just couldn't pass this sale up and, and I got these couches. Can you help me move, me and Pastor Bean, can you help us move them tomorrow? And I'm like, oh yeah, no problem. I've moved plenty of couches in my life. Not a big deal. Guys, these were the largest and heaviest couches I have ever seen in my life. The big couch, I can lay down completely flat on it with like completely flat. It's huge. But even seeing it, I'm like, okay, it can't be as heavy as the side. The, like, there's no way. It's like the, the frame of this couch was made with cement. <laughs> and it, like, I, it was so bad. At one point, I, I just told Pastor Romy, we got into the bottom of the stairs, right? And I was like, hey, that's not going to fit. We should just take it back to the truck and just donate it to Goodwill. Like, there's, I, by the grace of God, we were able to fit that couch inside. But I underestimated those couches. But there was a moment of redemption. Because at one point, this was really stupid on my part. At one point, I told Pastor Bing and Pastor Romy, hey, you guys go carry that end. I'll carry this side by myself. Because I was like, I got I to gotta get him back for the, like, five years ago with the desk moving it up. That was a really bad decision. I should have just let him do it. Yeah. Anyway, underestimation, right? Don't underestimate God's plan for your life. Don't underestimate the uniqueness that's within you, right? God has created you for a purpose. You have a place in God's kingdom, and that place is not the sideline, that place is not just sitting around collecting dust. That place is not coming to the same position in the same pew every week and getting mad if somebody else is sitting there. Right? That place is actively serving God. So, sorry, we're in this Can I Ask That series. And the question we're asking this morning is, am I qualified to be used by God? The answer is yes. Okay, Jesus loves you. Go have lunch. No, the answer is yes. You are qualified to be used by God, right? And it's your place as a child of God that qualifies you. Amen. You said yes to Jesus. When you did that, you were qualified. Amen. Right at that exact moment, you were qualified not knowing anything other than John 3.16 because you saw it at a sporting event. Right at that moment, you were qualified to be used by God. 
right? You don't have to be, to have a degree from an Ivy League school. You don't have to have uh, gone to a theological seminary. You don't have to be a founder or an innovator or a CEO or a visionary or an imagineer like that made up word from Disneyland. Uh, You don't have to be on a who's who's list of successful people. You don't have to have a street named after you or a holiday dedicated in your honor. You don't have to be a rising star in any certain field or industry. You don't have to have written a book, given a TED Talk. It doesn't matter if you have letters after your name. None of it matters because God is so impressed with your resume. Your resume that you trusted his son enough to take your place. You said yes to giving him your life. God looks at you and he sees the same spirit that raised his son from the dead living inside of you. And he says, they can accomplish anything that I want them to. God is impressed with your resume. And he laughs when you attempt to prove your worthiness. Because he's like, I've already paid for that. What are you doing, right? Your accomplishments don't justify your existence. The things that you do don't justify your existence. They don't justify your place in God's kingdom. Your place as his child justifies you and qualifies you to do great things. And you see throughout scripture again and again, God uses people that nobody else seems to want to use, right? Samuel goes through all of Jesse's sons and gets to David at the end. Nobody wanted David. God uses people that everybody else looks at and and, and discounts and discredits. You are qualified because you are a child of God. You are qualified because God says, says you are. Look at somebody next to you and say, you are qualified. Now, there is a sense of responsibility on our part, right? If you want to do something great for God's kingdom, you're living in habitual sin, you should probably stop that. That's probably not a good good place to live, like sinning habitually and then trying to do something for God's kingdom. It's just the two don't mix. So you should probably get your life right. Right? You do actually need to make yourself available to him. Right? God's not just going to, like, pick you up and put you somewhere Be like, all right, push you and go do it. There is a sense of responsibility where we need to be cultivating that time with the Lord so we can hear his voice when he calls us and then being obedient to that call, doing what he asks us to do. You guys with me? Okay. So I want to give you guys uh, four questions. Four questions. We're going to ask a lot of questions today. But four questions that we can ask ourselves that I think will change the way we look at serving God and serving his kingdom and serving his people. And we're going to look at the book of Judges. Um, and just in case you guys don't all, don't all know about Judges, right? Uh, the Israelites came out of the, out of the desert into the promised land. And they messed up. And they would do stupid things. And then they would go on for years. And then they would get frustrated enough and go, okay, God, help us. And then God would rise up a deliverer in the form of a judge like Samson and uh, free his people and then they would be at peace for a while, and then they would go back to being stupid. And once they'd been stupid long enough, they'd go, okay, God, we're sorry, right? Any of you ever done this? Like, you try to make a deal with God? Like, you don't talk to God ever for years, 
right? And then something bad happens and you're like, oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, God, you are the, my strength and shield, my mighty strong tower and fortress. And Yes, help me. We become like super Christian when we need something, right? This is the book of Judges. They became, they were like, oh, yes, Lord, we are going to consecrate ourselves, eat unleavened bread and all those things, and we're just going to, yes. God would raise up a judge. Um, I always think of Judge Dredd. You guys ever watch that movie with Sylvester Stallone? I am the law with his crooked mouth. I'm like, yeah, Judge Dredd. Anyway, let's read. Judges 3. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms, Jericho. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, 18 years. Uh, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man. We're going to call him Ehud, the left-handed dude. He gave them a deliverer, Ehud, the left-handed dude, the son of Gera the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So the first question I have for you, what bothers me? Look at somebody, tell them, what, what, bo- what bothers you? What bothers you? What bothers you on an emotional and spiritual level, right? What, what do you, you just can't, you, I just can't stand it. What bothers you, right? What bothers you about the community you live in? What bothers you about the family dynamics in your home? Now, this isn't a place for you to go, you bother me. Uh, you're my wife and you bother me. You need to change. No, this is like spiritually, emotionally, what bothers you? Does it bother you? that there are so many people that don't know Jesus? Does it bother you that your kids might not be living for, for God? Does it bother you that you have so many family members that aren't following the Lord? Does it bother you that you work in a place that is ungodly? What bothers you, right? I'm sure Ehud and the Israelites were bothered. They had put up with it long enough. They got to a point where they were bothered, so they cried out to the Lord for help. Now notice God doesn't like smite the Moabites. He doesn't like just destroy them. He empowers somebody to do something about it. Right? We need more people that are going to be bothered. Right? Pray that God would bother you a little bit, that he would burden you, give you a burden for something. We spend a lot of time praying for peace. Jesus already gave us peace. He said, my peace, I leave you. Here, here's my peace. Right? So you already have it. You can rest in the peace of God. Pray that God would shake things up in your life. Pray that he would give you a burden. Because when a person has a burden from the Lord, things will change. A bothered person is going to shake things up. Right? Pray that God would burden you a little bit. Sometimes we get bothered, we get burdened, and uh, we, we bring it to our pastor. Oh, pastor, uh, you know, God woke me up. Uh, to, to tell me in this dream, and he gave me this burden for this person. So here's my prayer request. Can you guys just take care of that? God doesn't bother you for information, right? He doesn't just want you to know what's going on. God bothers you and gives you a burden so that you can be transformed to do something about it. Amen. But we like to pawn those things off on people, right? 
I will pray with you. Yeah, let's pray together. But let's figure out why God is saying this to you and how you are gifted to do something about it. And the church said, amen. We pray, God, change the world. God, do something with those people, right? But pray, change me first. God, I want you to change that community, but I want you to do it through me. God, what part can I play? How can I help my family? How can I help my work environment? Because we ask God, and God's purpose is to help us make a change through him through the power that he has given us. So, what bothers me? What bothers you? How am I gifted? Look at somebody tell them, how are you gifted? And then you can answer that. Like, tell them, you're, tell them what you're good at. Like, I'm good at this. Or not, that's fine too. That's fine. So we've got, we've got Ehud, the left-handed dude from the tribe of Benjamin. This is kind of funny. Because um, the tribe of Benjamin means son of the right hand. So you got Ehud, the left-handed dude from the tribe of the son of the right hand, right? So right away, it's like, what's this guy doing here? Why is this left-handed guy in this tribe? The term left-handed means restricted as to his right hand, right? And in the culture of the day, if someone was left-handed, a lot of times they were forced to be right-handed. It was looked at as a disadvantage. Any left-handed people in here? <laughs> Got some left-handed people. I forget my wife is left-handed. She's ambi- ambidextrous. But being left-handed, I feel for you guys. Desks in school, right? You probably still got a bad back from like having a... Or three ring binders, spiral notebooks when you're left-handed, or like left-handed people with all that pencil lead on their hand right here. I saw that they make like a, a sleeve for that. Like it's a little thing that just goes over your pinky and your hand and like connects to your thumb. It looks kind of cool. Dan said, uh, right-handed scissors. I didn't even know. Like, I spent 30 years of my life not knowing that left-handed scissors existed like, until I meet my wife. But I guess they do. Um, to be left-handed back, back then was to be seen, was seen as a disadvantage, right? And it's cool because what, what we might think or what culture might think is a disadvantage God uses, God uses this very unique thing, right, for his glory. Stop, stop selling yourself short. We're going to get into why left-handedness was unique in this story, but don't sell yourself short, right? If you're good at something, God has made you good at that thing and leverage that for his glory. Whatever it is, leverage it to do something in God's kingdom, right? Our ability is the fact that we can't see how God has gifted us. We can't see how those things can be used. It's not that we're failures. It's not that we're not good enough. It's that we are not seeing the way God sees. We are not, we're just selling ourselves short. We're failing to recognize those gifts in our life, right? Your goal should not be to fit in. Don't try to be like everybody else. Don't try to just emulate other people because you like their life. God has called you and set you apart. 
As a community, we are called and set apart. As believers in Christ. But as individuals, you are called and set apart. And what you can do is different than anybody else in this room. You have a unique place in God's kingdom that is totally different than everybody else's. So there's a couple other things we can see about Ehud's left-handedness. Um, the tribe of Benjamin was the smallest of the 12 tribes, and it was known for producing very skilled warriors. So we can say that he was a very skilled warrior, right? Um, and Judges uh, verse chapter 20 talks about 700 left-handed men from the tribe of Benjamin that could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. So we can surmise that uh, Ehud, the left-handed dude, is, 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 is like pretty, pretty strong. Like he, can, he can fight. He's a skilled warrior, right? So Ehud embraces his gift. Now, his gift is double-edged, right? He's a skilled warrior, but there were lots of skilled warriors. So what set Ehud apart from the other skilled warriors that God could have used is the fact that he was left-handed. That's pretty cool. He was left-handed, and that's how God used him, because he was left-handed. Um, verse 16, now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a foot and a half long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. Now, this was important, because if you were going to go somewhere as a, uh, to get searched, like he was going to go bring a tribute to the king, and if he was going to get searched, it was so weird to have a left-handed person that would actually be doing anything, um, a, a right-handed person would strap a sword to their left thigh, right? So if you're like in the king's garden, you were searching, you would just pat him down right here. No sword? Okay, go in, right? So he's strapping his sword to his right thigh because that's where he would pull it out. So this was, this was, the fact that he was left-handed is pretty cool, right? And this was his unique gift, and he was using his unique gift as being left-handed to serve God, um, so how are you gifted? What are you good at? Right, now we have spiritual gifts. Uh, did I put these in here? Yeah. So these first three uh, scriptures talk about uh, the body of Christ uh, being made up in different parts with each part uh, being necessary for the church and for the, for the church body to be effective. Scripture talks about uh, spiritual gifts and, and, and when we uh, pray for the Spirit to, to give us those gifts he, the Spirit gives to each in accordance to his will and his purpose. But there's also just natural things that you're good at. Right? Like I said earlier, if you can do graphic design, you can use that for God's kingdom. You know, uh, FCA, I don't know if you guys know the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, there are these athletes that are leveraging they're using the platform, these professional athletes that they have been given, and their gifting is, yeah, they're really good at sports, but they're glorifying God, and they're sharing the message of Jesus in that, right? How many of you guys, you like to cook, right? You could be such a blessing to someone. If you know how to cook, you just bless them with a meal. Like, if you bring somebody free food, they'll usually talk to you. They're not just going to be like, leave it on the porch and get lost. <laughs> I've seen people, I've seen students that they like to skateboard, so they do a little skate competition and take some of the money that they earned from whatever job or allowance. They, they, they buy a, a, a cheap skateboard, 
And they give it to the person that wins and they tell them about Jesus. If you're creative, you can use that. You can leverage it for God's glory. Everybody in this room, I'm sure, knows G, right? Dawson, Elvis' son. He is creative, so he creates this clothing brand called Spirit Born LA. And uh, I bought one of his hats. In the back, it's engraved uh, in Roman numerals 3.8, and it stands for John 3.8. And people would, uh, I've had somebody come up to me and ask me, like, what does that mean? And I get to have a conversation with him about the gospel because he made a clothing line and loves Jesus and puts it on his brand. Like, what are you good at? Whatever you're good at, you can do it for God's kingdom, as long as it's legal. If you're good at illegal things, then you, this is a whole other sermon. You need to come up for forgiveness and pray and ask God. If you're good with kids and you like babysitting infants, I know somebody who's having a baby. You can serve the kingdom. Let's be real. We're first-time parents. We're probably not going to let anybody touch our daughter for like seven years. Anyway, 1 Peter 4.10 says, I'm so, yeah, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Whatever gifts you have, use it to serve God and use it to serve God's people. Hmm. God's grace was shown in a wonderfully beautiful way when Jesus gave his life on the cross, right? But it also takes many different forms. God's grace can be shown through the works that you do. God wants to reveal himself to people through us. God is in the people business. So when you say yes to God, when you gave your life to Jesus, you were saying yes to God's people. You don't have to be the greatest people person, but you gotta learn how to love people. When I first started working here, I didn't like, I didn't, like, sometimes I don't like groups of people. And Pastor Ken, like, after a couple weeks, he pulled me in his office, and he goes, your only job for the next six months is to smile. <laughs> and I tell you, I would leave on Sundays, and my face would hurt <laughs> from smiling at everybody all the time. And I'm like, these are muscles that I don't use. <laughs> right? But coming here has taught me how to better love people. Um, God has called you and he's equipped you to make a difference. You just have to see yourself as qualified and gifted. So what do, you, what do you love to do? What do you do well? What do you enjoy doing? Chances are you can do that thing for Jesus, right? I, I, I like talking to people and I like being like kind of dry humor and sarcastic sometimes and I like being loud and rambunctious. So I'm a youth pastor, that's cool, right? I like my job, and I think I'm pretty good at my job. So I, I, things I like to do, things I do well, so that's what I do for God's kingdom, right? I try to make graphics and do those things. I'm not that good at it. That's why I need somebody else. Um, last week in youth ministry, we talked about dragons, and show, I showed them some cat videos. That's not all we did. You're like, I'm not sending my kid to, to ever again. We talked about dragon slayer, like the dragon is your sin, and you know, the cat lady. Anyway, it was good. Ask your kids about it. Um, how can you serve the body of Christ? If you enjoy something, you do it well, you should be doing it for God. 
right? Because if there's some, if, if you're not doing something, then there's something in the kingdom of God that's not getting done. It's like a group project when you're in school and one person isn't doing their job. And you're like, well, now the rest of us have to pick up the slack because you're not doing what you're on this team to do. You have a place. And when you find it, run in that lane. Do that thing. So, what bothers you? What bothers me? How am I gifted? What opportunities are right in front of me? He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. That's important, the fact that he was very fat. I'm pretty sure that uh, this is theologically incorrect, but I just told you I'm a youth pastor, so this is where I go with it. I, I like to think of this as like the scene in Star Wars with Jabba the Hutt. That's what I like to picture, right, where they're coming, and it's Jabba, rah, rah, rah. Like, however he talks, it's Jabba the Hutt. Eglon, king of Moab, was a very fat man. Okay, so this tribute that he's bringing is an offering that they would bring every year to the king. Uh, it was like a payment to say, we're still your slaves, and we're going to pay you to like, enslave us. It was really weird. So this is what Ehud is doing. But he's using this opportunity, Ehud, the left-handed dude, he's using this opportunity to get in the king's presence. The king was very fat. Remember that. He uses this opportunity to get in his presence. Um, what opportunities has God placed in front of you? Okay, so when you have that, that burden and God bothers you about something, right, and, and instead of transformational burden, you use it as informational to pass it on to somebody else, it's usually an opportunity for you to do something. It's usually an opportunity for you to serve. You don't usually have to look too hard to see opportunities. Just drive around whatever community you're in, and you will find an opportunity to love people. You will find an opportunity to do something. Next family, big family event that you have, you'll find an opportunity to love someone. You'll find an opportunity to serve God's people, right? You have, like I said earlier, family, friends, people at work, people in your community don't know Jesus. Those are opportunities, right? For, I mean, there are opportunities in the church, obviously, right? Children's ministry, opportunity. We need men that are willing to teach kids, like seriously. We need men that are willing to to step up and take that mantle of leadership, not just in their homes, but in the church at large, you know? And that's something that's very near and dear to Pastor Romeo's heart. And he's trying to create opportunities, you know, to teach men how to take that mantle of leadership, how to lead, how to be the spiritual head of the household, right? Because the way that, we'll save that. We'll save that for another time. If you want to do something, if you want to get involved, we'll find a place for you to serve. If you want to serve here, tell us what you're good at. We will find a place for you to serve. Remember Good Friday? We had that beautiful cross that was decorated by Jeff on Friday and Hazel on Sunday. Pastor Janet wrote that amazing spoken word that Calvin and Nico did. I had no idea that either of them could do that. I've been working with Pastor Janet for five years. I didn't know she was that talented at writing. And here's the thing, though. When you do something and you do it well, you sign yourself up to do it for a long time. <laughs> because we, we see the, the value in it, right? Right? Robin is doing sound today. 
I knew that Robin played, Robin has like been, when we first started doing youth ministry here, when I first started doing youth ministry, sometimes it would be me and Robin uh, just a cappella upstairs doing worship. I knew she could lead worship. I didn't know she was as good of a sound person as she is, right? right. Anthony plays guitar, does sound, plays drums, plays bass. I don't, does he play, what else does he play? I don't know. He plays lots of things. He's really good, right? We have talented musicians, you know, and, and it's funny because sometimes you learn these skills and develop these things before you know Jesus, and then God uses it for his glory. Philip. Philip's a, a very talented musician. He can sing well. Philip loves 90s music, and if you listen to his voice, he kind of sounds like Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam a little bit, right? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that's my man. <laughs> but skills that he developed and then got leveraged for his glory. We have talented people here, right? Any of you ever come and have food in the morning? We have people that know how to cook, and they're using it to bless the people of God. Like, seriously, what opportunities are in front of you? And what can you do about that? If you want to serve, we'll find a place for you. What risks do I need to take? What risks do you need to take? After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way the men who had carried it. At the idols near Gilgal, he, turned him, he himself turned back and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. Present the tribute Let's everybody else go. Remember, he's left-handed. He's got a sword right here. The king said, quiet, and all his attendants left him. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his summer palace and said, I have a message from God for you. Ehud's like, yeah, what is it? Or Eglon, what's the message? As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right right thigh, plunged it into the king's belly, Even the handle sank in after the blade, which came out his back. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. The ESV says, and the dung came out. Y'all know what dung is, right? And the dung came out. Okay. I have a secret message for you. Plunge. And then he's like, oh, snap. Right? And he goes to, like, get the sword back, and it's like, The fat closed in, and he's like, yo, you just keep that? I I made it especially for you. This is so much fun to preach in youth ministry, too, right? He's like, I I made this. Just have it. I'll make another one. And the dung came out. (laughs) This is a story that you will never see flannel grafted on the walls of the kids' ministry, Right? It's not going to be like singing a cute song about Ehud killing a king and the dung coming out and the fat closing in over the sword. So Ehud loses his sword. And then he went out the porch and he shut the doors behind him. Man, that was crazy. Shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked him. This story gets better. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said... He must be relieving himself in the inner room of the house. Why? Because the dung came out. And they smelled it. They're like, oh. Ehud, what did you, Eglon, what did you eat? They waited to the point of embarrassment. Have you ever had to go check on someone in the bathroom? They're like, knock, yeah, you all right in there, man? You've been in there like, you've been in there for a while. 
They waited to the point of embarrassment, but when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There. Is that an eagle? That was majestic. There they saw their Lord fallen on the floor. Um, Whoops. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the idols and escaped. I'm sure that Ehud was willing to die for this. I'm sure that he was so bothered by the fact that they had been enslaved for 18 years. He used that gift that God had given him, took, saw an opportunity, and took a risk. And I'm sure he was willing to give his life for it. He sent everybody else away, so it was just him and the king. Now, I'm not saying God is going to ask you to, 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 to die for something. Right? God, God has qualified you to, 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 be, to, to be unique in his kingdom. But he is asking you to give things up for him. Right? Salvation is a free gift. Discipleship, obedience, following God's will for your life, those things will cost you. They'll cost you your own desires, your own pleasures. They'll cost you, uh, you know, the things that you want so desperately when they don't line up with what God has. He'll ask you to give those things up. Is it worth it? Absolutely. 100%. It might ruffle some feathers when you decide to serve God. And you do have to count the cost. Jesus says that. Count the cost, right? He says, take up your cross and follow me. He doesn't say, take up your fluffy down alternative pillow and just lay down and get comfortable. Pick up your cross and follow me. Do something. You want to be a part of this? I'm asking you to serve. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm asking you to do what only you can do. There is something in God's kingdom that he has uniquely qualified you and nobody else to do. We've got to find that thing and do it with all our hearts. Take risks, right? If you just continue to be comfortable for so you ever just sit in a position for a really long time and then your leg falls asleep? Then you can't get up and do anything, right? Don't fall asleep spiritually to the point where you don't know what to do with your life, to the point that it's hard for you to take a step with Jesus because you've allowed yourself to get so comfortable. Don't be complacent. Take risks with your life. Take risks with your time. Take the risk to say, I'm going to give this time to the Lord. Take a risk to show up early at a church and do something. Take a risk to go into the kids' ministry, talk to Rochelle and say, Rochelle, how can I help you? Take a risk with your relationships. Take a risk with the way that you love people. Put yourself out there. Take a risk and see what God does with that. Ehud took a risk, and that risk led to the freedom of the entire nation of Israel. Everybody was freed because Ehud took a risk. When he killed Eglon, he escaped and then led the Israelites to victory, and they were set free. And the story ends in verse 30. It says, that day Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land land had peace for 80 years. Worship team, you can come up here. Ehud, the left-handed dude, took a risk. He was bothered 
by what was going on around him. He embraced his gift, as weird as being left-handed, embraced that gift. He saw an opportunity. He took a risk. And this is a principle that still stands today. When you take risks for God, it empowers others. When you do something for Jesus, you are unconsciously giving every other person around you the freedom to do the same thing. And they see you, they see you making a difference, and they go, well, if he can do it, so can I. If she can step out and make a difference, I can too. When you serve, when you take that opportunity, when you do what you are uniquely called to do, your obedience to Jesus gives everybody else the freedom to serve him as well. You can take every spiritual gift test. You can go on Facebook and find out which disciple you're most like. Uh, most like Judas. I guess I'm done. You can take a personality test. You can do all of those things. And you can narrow it down to, this is what I know I'm good at. But when it starts to matter and take shape is when you take a risk. I feel like God is asking some of you, a lot of you, to take a risk this morning. And maybe it starts with just a flawed relationship. I was talking to, I was talking to John. A lot of you guys don't, might not know John because uh, he does media a lot and he's really good. Um, and he was telling me that, he was telling me last week that he went to his barber he went to a barbershop, and he felt like the Lord said, hey, I want you to, to invite this, this guy to church. And he was like, no, no, no. So he kept saying no. He leaves, doesn't invite him, goes next door to have tea, goes to look for his glasses. He left his glasses on the barber's station. So he had to go back. He invited him to church, came to church, right? Um, uh, Miles, Miles Abercosa, you guys know him. Um, he and he, we've been talking with Miles, my wife and I, um, just about different things and wanting to serve. And, and uh, he's gone through this process with Pastor Ken of really finding his calling, finding and, and defining his calling statement. And then as soon as he found that, he came and asked if he could help in youth ministry. And so I gave him a couple things to do. He's like blown me away, Right? But he is, I, I know that he has a natural leadership gift. People follow him. So he's using that gift. And he's coming and he's serving in youth ministry. And he's making a difference. The gifting, the biggest gifting is that people like him. He's a likable person. And he leveraged that for God's kingdom. And he's doing awesome stuff with us. He's not in here because he's upstairs teaching the tweens right now. And this room is full of people with similar stories. You're good at something, so you do it for Jesus, and people are touched. A few years ago, Mila and Rochelle painted those paintings that you saw on Good Friday. People are still touched by what they did a couple of years ago. 
because they served God, because they're artistic. Vanessa came up here this morning and made everybody happy. If you were coming, if you came in and you, had a, you were having a bad day, you just saw Vanessa smiling and you're like, oh, my day's better. She's good with people, which is why we want her in front of you guys, to catch some of that joy. What risks do you need to take? You are qualified. You don't have to speak perfect King James English to serve in God's kingdom. You don't have to know all 66 books in order. You don't even have to know the name of all 66 books in the Bible. You don't have to be able to quote theology for quote scripture forwards and backwards and have entire chapters memorized. If you get stuck on a theological question, you don't have to know all the answers. You just have to have a phone, email Pastor John, and put in the subject line, in all caps, theology question. He will answer you in like 10 minutes. How are you gifted? Because, right, Ehud couldn't do it by himself. He could only do what he could do. He saw the opportunity to kill the king, free the people of Israel. And then when he went back, he said, guys, I made a way for you guys to help. And they all came together and brought freedom to the nation. You want to see your families changed? You want to see your community changed? You want to see your church changed? We've all got a part to play in it. What's bothering you? What are you going to do about it? When we all work together, beautiful things will happen. Right, and there's a couple more things real quick that we learned from this. You matter way more than you think you do. You have way more worth and value than you came in thinking you had this morning. You're also doing a better job than you think you are. Just because you fail every now and again, that's a normal part of being human, is failing. Living in that failure is not right. Failure is a thing that happens. It's a bump in the road. It's not a defining moment in your life. Just because you feel like you've messed up, we sang it this morning, God has never failed us. Give that failure to him and watch him turn it around. And then the last thing is, this life is less about you than you think it is. We spend so much time worrying about ourselves. Jesus tells us not to worry, right? Why do you worry? Why do you worry about what you're going to eat, about what you're going to wear? If we really believe that God is Jehovah Jireh, that he is the Lord that provides, then why do we spend so much time obsessing over the things we have, over the things we want, over the things we need, over the way that people try? I can't believe what he said about me five years ago. I'm never talking to him again. Could you imagine if God treated us that way? If God looked at our, us presently based on our past? None of us. Would be able to be in his presence. Your life is less about you than you think it is. Jesus came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And God is asking you to give your life to his causes. 
God loves you. He cares about you. He's got you. He's going to take care of you. He's asking you to take care of those that he's placed around you, to sacrifice of your time, to do something for him. Would you stand with us this morning? Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.